Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I need him too badly. Um, so we're going to stay out of the way. And, well, but yeah, we'll, we'll just watch from here. There is sound with us, too. They put Jesus in a tomb and wrapped him with some white paper. They put a big stone around it and placed guards in front of the tomb to let nobody go in. He was just waiting for the three days. He's probably drinking soda while eating hot Cheetos. <laughs> he would probably play games like Candyland and then have a party by himself. The okay. Easter Bunny was hiding behind a tree. <laughs> he probably went out there and just throw eggs everywhere. And then he's going to say, there's one money egg, so you better find it. You know it's money. Three days later, there was a big earthquake. <laughs> I think we should go away somewhere safe. It's like, I'm getting out of here. The earth is shaking. Run for your lives. <laughs> and the guards ran off because they got scared. And then on Sunday, Mary and some of her friends came with some spices, but when they got there, the tomb was empty. His clothes only was there. Then an angel came and said, "Don't be afraid. Jesus has risen from the dead. Go tell the go tell every go tell the good news." Mary and her friends went and told the disciples. She said, "Jesus has risen from the dead." Guys, guys. Jesus has risen from the dead. And the disciples didn't believe them. No, that couldn't happen. Jesus can't raise from the dead. Uh, I don't believe it until I see it. But all of a sudden, Jesus, Jesus just came, just was there. I am Jesus. I am the, I'm the... I am the son of the Lord God, and I am Jesus, your friend. And then the disciples said, Jesus, it's you. Yay! Jesus is alive! Totes cool. Jesus, before he left to heaven, he said, I have done what I have came to done. Do. And then he risen, and he was going up to heaven. His disciples were crowded around him. The disciples said, holy guacamole. I can't believe Jesus really flew. That's awesome. Now what? Let's go tell the news. story or, or something like it uh, and the resurrection is the cornerstone event of our faith and this Easter Sunday uh, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ we're beginning a new message series today called the case for Christ Forrest and I are going to be bringing those uh, four messages together and the movie the case for Christ was released last uh, Sunday on Palm Sunday and we're going to be showing some clips from that during the movie, 
but it is only showing in like two theaters in Michigan, so these clips are probably all you'll see until it comes out on DVD. But the movie chronicles the spiritual journey of Lee Strobel, uh, who's an award-winning journalist with the Chicago Tribune, and he was an ardent atheist, so was his wife, but then his wife became a Christian, and things started to change at home, and that was pretty upsetting to him, and so he decided to use his investigative skills that had won, won him all these awards to disprove Christianity. And instead of disproving it, he found that there was so much evidence that uh, he became a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And today he's a speaker, a pastor, best-selling author of several books, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for a Creator. And the focus of his books and this message as well are on um, the evidence that we have as followers of Jesus Christ for the resurrection and so we're going to be looking at that this morning. But first we're going to start with a clip from the movie where um, he was challenged to use his skills to investigate the resurrection. So let's watch. What are you doing here? I thought you were banished. <laughs> What's the matter? You people and your God, you just, you know, you talk in circles. You offer, you offer just enough evidence, but never enough to be conclusive. Then you fill in all the gaps with, oh, well, yeah, you just got to have faith. It's a bunch of nonsense. You're really irritating. You know that? <sighs> don't start with me, Kenny. You don't waste a lick of time bragging to all of us how great a reporter you are. So why can't you put up or shut up on this story? What are you even talking about? Here's where the chili meets the cheese, my friend. One of my heroes was C.S. Lewis, a man who began as a skeptic, much like yourself. At the end of his journey, you know what he said? He said, if Christianity is false, it's of zero importance. But if it's true, there's nothing more important in the entire universe. So you want your wife back? Well, hey, guess what? People in hell want ice water. Not everybody gets everything they want. Stop blaming me and the church and God and do your job. Stack up the evidence, follow the facts, and write the story, win or lose. So if you're not sure who Jesus is, if he is who he said he was, if he rose from the dead, then you owe it to yourself to explore the resurrection. Because if it's true, then faith has to follow. And, and if it's false, then, you know, we should all just go home, eat, drink, and be merry because this is all there there is. And that's why in the Case for Christ movie, um, Lee Hobel honed in on uh, the question of whether Jesus really rose from the dead or not. And he recognized that this issue, uh, as some people have called it, the linchpin of Christianity, is the if that evidence stands, then Christianity stands. And if it fails, then Christianity uh, falls apart too, which is exactly what Lee Strobel was hoping for when he began his investigation. 
The Apostle Paul, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, um, attested to the pivotal nature of Jesus' resurrection. He said, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So this is really a big deal. Um, but as Lee Strobel asked in the movie, is there really any evidence that Jesus rose from the dead? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, was Jesus alive on Sunday? So I realize that the vast majority of you already believe that he was. That's why you're here. But you may have friends who don't, and you'd like to know, is there some evidence? Is there some reason for belief? And others of you may think, you know, you're here with somebody that dragged you here or something, and you may think it's just a myth that somehow has endured for 2,000 years. And um, the good news is that there's a great deal of evidence for our faith that Jesus did come back to life, and that this story of the resurrection has endured simply because it's true. So um, we're, there's no way we can cover everything uh, in these series, or especially today. We're starting with the assumption that you believe that Jesus was a historical person. There's so much evidence for that outside the Bible, that he lived and breathed and walked on the earth, and that he was killed by the Romans. There's also a, so much evidence of that. And I've got a bunch of that if you're, yeah, if you're he's, interested. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Romans didn't mess up on that, so we know he was dead. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about how do we know he came back to life? All right. You have a scripture. That's right. I'm going to stand because I can't see most people. I'm shorter than you. Did you notice that? <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting on a tall chair. Yeah. So. All right. So there are two primary evidences that Jesus came back from the dead. They're recorded in all four of the Gospels. I'm going to be reading from Matthew. And as uh, charming as that story was earlier, they deviated a little bit from the text, so I'm going to read it to you from, from the scriptures. That's the revised children's version. So. That's right. So Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook, and they became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where they have laid him. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So we, um, all the gospel writers tell of the empty tomb and the risen Savior. And those are the two greatest evidences for the truth of the resurrection. The tomb was empty, and people saw Jesus raised to life again. So how do we know the tomb was empty? I get to talk. Um, 
First of all, we have what we are calling the Jerusalem factor. You all know the first rule of, uh, of real estate? Location. 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 Okay. Um, we know the tomb was empty because of the location. Where was the tomb? In Jerusalem, their capital city. Uh, what was the population of Jerusalem at that time? This is Passover time, so they estimate the population was about five times as much as normal. Everybody was there. So there were crowds everywhere. So do we have witnesses? Yes, there were lots and lots and lots of witnesses. Were they interested? The itinerant preacher that people thought was the Son of God did miraculous things, and they, he was crucified. That's going to be, everybody is going to want to know what's going on. So yes, there were tons of witnesses. And... Jesus was buried in a tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, their high religious body, and he was wealthy and he was well-known. So his tomb would have been recognizable. It was big, ostentatious, fancy, set aside, probably gates around and everything. So this was obviously, you're not going to mistake, oh, oops, we had the wrong tomb. You know, if you've seen one, you've seen them all, they all look the same. This was a special tomb, the tomb of a rich man. Um, so we've got lots of witnesses in a very large city. We've got a tomb that everyone would know. Oh, Joseph's tomb up on the hill. Yeah, that's the big one. And if you were going to fabricate a story about Jesus rising from the dead, would you have it be in a very obvious location where everybody could see it? No, if you were going to fabricate a story, where did it happen? out in some far distant province where there's only like 50 people around because you didn't have as many witnesses that could contradict your story. So um, Joseph Arimathea buried him in his very recognizable tomb and everyone knew where the body was. The women going out early on Sunday morning would not have questioned, are we going to the right tomb? They knew, everybody knew where the tomb was. And when they got there, there was nobody home. Now on to the second point. So if the, if the tomb hadn't been empty, all they would have had to, you know, go and say, well, wait, there's a body here. Roll right? away stone, find body, right? Okay. So then the second thing, and these aren't actually our titles. These are like scholarly titles for these things. Are, are the criteria of embarrassment. I'm glad you're doing this one. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. So think about, think about this. In, in the Gospels, uh, who were the first people to... to uh, discovered that the tomb was empty women yes women but in the first century Jewish and Roman culture the testimony of women wasn't even allowed in court uh, we there's a reading in Josephus who was a historian for the Romans he wasn't a Christian that says but let not the testimony of women be admitted when they're trying to decide on Roman law so they they didn't even allow women to testify in court so here's the point. If the gospel writers were going to make up a story about the resurrection and the empty tomb, they never would have said it was women who discovered that it was empty. Uh, culturally, that was embarrassing. That hurt their case rather than helped it. So they would have said that it was Peter or John or one of the men uh, who went and found the team, tomb vacant. Yet they reported that women were the first to discover that the tomb was empty. And the reason they included it is because it was true and they were committed to telling the truth about this story, even if it hurt their cause. 
So then there's a third. Uh, that would be the enemy witness. Because if you're looking in the Bible, pretty much that's all friendly witnesses. These are Jesus' followers, and they're relating this story. And so it would be easy for some people to say, well, you know, they're on his side. Of course, they're going to agree with it. Um, so what were the opposition uh, views? And we need to understand the main opposition. We've got Romans and we've got the Jewish authorities. The Romans really were only concerned with, we kill them. He's, when we kill them, they stay dead. So it was kind of just their reputation that they were concerned of. The Jewish leaders had a very intense vested interest in Jesus not coming back to life because his whole point was, I am God, I am going to come back to life. And their whole point was, no, you're not, no, you can't, it's not going to happen. So they were dead set against anything happening. That's why when he was put in the tomb, they went to Pilate and said, okay, his followers are saying he's going to rise again three days later. We need to make sure that doesn't happen. And so they said, can you seal up the tomb and post a guard and everything to just assure that there's no funny business going on? And so Pilate ordered Roman soldiers to go guard the tomb. They put an official seal on it. The stone that they rolled away, they said, weighed several tons. It would take many men to roll it aside. It's in a little channel that kind of runs downhill in front of the, in front of the opening. And so it would have taken several men um, to force that back and be able to get into that tomb. So it was sealed and guarded. And you understand, the Roman soldiers, they were pros, right? And when they were given an assignment, they had to fulfill the assignment. If you uh, let somebody rise again from the dead or you let somebody rob the tomb, what was the punishment typically? Death. Death. You didn't mess up. If you messed up, we kill you. So they were, had a very vested interest in nothing weird happens because somebody's life is at stake here, and, and we don't want to have that mistake. So the women see the uh, empty tomb. Jesus is gone. The soldiers, they also saw. They had a story. They knew the real story. Uh, they went back to the Jewish leaders and said, oops, we got a problem here. Angel, earthquake, stones rolled away, body disappears. Um, and so they confessed this all to the Jewish leaders, and the Jewish leaders uh, basically told them, well, here's your story. His disciples came while we were asleep, and they stole the body. We'll pay you a lot of money to make sure that you hold to that story. And if word gets back to Pontius Pilate, who will have you killed if you admit this, we'll smooth it over with him because he'll do what, he, what we say. He's kind of in our back pocket. So they formulated the story. The disciples came and, and stole the body, while the professional Roman guard, the most feared fighting force in the, that area at that time, was asleep when they're supposed to be standing guard. So um, that was basically a fake news story from the Jewish uh, leaders, complicit with the Romans. And if you're talking about, of course, the, the disciples, what were they doing at this time rather than stealing Jesus out of the tomb? They were scared. They were hiding behind locked doors because, well, they thought the same, this was going to start the program of uh, annihilation of all Jesus' followers, and they'd want to wipe this out, so we better hide. So they really didn't have the motive or the opportunity to do this. And if you've got anybody else that's interested in, in robbing a tomb, which tomb robbery was, was common in ancient days, but not very common in, in uh, Israel. 
So typically tomb robbers, if they're coming to rob a tomb, what are they taking? Stuff, valuables, because a lot of times, like the Egyptian tombs and all that kind of stuff, there's a lot of valuables in there. Are you interested in the body? Not at all. That would be the last thing that you would think about taking. You want the stuff. But in this case, the stuff, the grave clothes, they were still there. It was only the body that was disappeared. And then the fourth thing, uh, the disciples and their staunch belief that Jesus was risen. Um, you all know the disciple story after Easter? Bad suffering. What did they suffer? Let me see. The, the 39 lashes, beatings, stonings, imprisonment, threats, and eventually death. And they stuck to their story. Jesus is alive. Starting at Pentecost, five weeks after Jesus' resurrection, they are sticking to this, Jesus is alive, and we don't care what you do with this, and, and if you put us in prison, that's great, we'll celebrate, but we cannot stop talking about what we know to be true. And they did that for the whole rest of their life. So there's no doubt they believed that this story was true, and they were in a perfect position to be able to tell that that story was true because they were eyewitnesses. So that's my point. So, so the Jewish leaders really say when they made up the story about the tomb being empty were witnesses that the tomb was empty, right? Yeah, they couldn't account for the empty tomb other than to make up a story about why it was empty. Okay. All right, so this is ev just some of the evidence that the tomb, tomb was empty, and of course um, that's not enough to prove it in itself, but the good news is we also have another strand of evidence, and that is that there were eyewitnesses that saw Jesus alive. So we don't just have an empty tomb with no explanation. We have eyewitnesses that saw him alive. And um, there are numerous appearances of the risen Jesus. So we're going to look very quickly at nine resources. How, how did we get to five after ten? You've got to talk faster. If I talk faster, they won't be able to understand the words. Okay. And I have a lot to say. We, we are going to go through these quickly. The first is a creed that you find in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul is is uh, repeating there. And it's something that's already established in the church. He wrote... 1 Corinthians just 20 years after Jesus' death, and there's already this creed that we read uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, For what I have received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for all of our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which was Peter, and then to the Twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 uh, brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles. So there's an incredible uh, number of people who saw Jesus alive after that Sunday morning. Just, I'll make this really short. Okay. okay. So what are the chances that within 20 years a myth, a fable, has begun to circulate, and the people who were alive when Jesus was resurrected and saw him after his resurrection, that they were sort of um, confused in the facts within 20 years. Is that likely to happen? How many of you remember 9-11? Are you sure of the facts? I mean, you have no mistake? You're, you're pretty, pretty sure? That was 16 years ago. And you still remember? Are you likely to forget later in your life 
No, as long as you have a mind. Do you, rem do you remember where you were when that happened? Right. Um, on a lighter note, um, who hit the home run that finished the 1984 World Series when the Tigers won the series in 1984? Chad! <laughs> Gibby, Kurt Gibson hit that on. Chad, are you sure? Because some, there's some other people here that might not remember. Are you a credible witness? You, you know this. You remember the dancing around the baseline, and he's like, okay. Anybody not know that? Kurt Gibby hit the 84 home run to win the series? If you didn't, okay, yeah, he, he, he's your man. He's a witness. He knows this happened. Uh, the JFK assassination. Remember that one? That was 54 years ago. Gibby's home run was 33 years ago. You still remember these things. Really? What about Pearl Harbor? Most of us were not there. Do you remember that? How do you remember that? You heard stories repeated over and over. Did the story change? We attacked them. They attacked us. It wasn't in Hawaii. It was someplace else. No, the story has stayed right on the fact. Anybody gone to Hawaii and visited the Arizona? Okay, so you've been there. You've seen the evidence. That was um, 75 years ago, and we still remember. So what's the likelihood that Jesus' resurrection was confused and, and they got the facts wrong after 16, 17, 18 years? Highly unlikely that that would have ever happened. We're, we're going to go to about five things instead of nine things, right? <laughs> okay. It's good stuff. We got another place for more good stuff. <laughs> All right. So Amanda's wondering what there slide to put up next. <laughs> yeah, Amanda, I have no slides with anything that I have because it's just talk. Okay. So yeah. So so yeah. Um, Paul's testimony. Was oh, I'm doing Paul's testimony. Oh, that's me again. Um, and, well, I'm just very briefly. Paul, he was a Jerusalem Pharisee in the high-ranking group of leaders of the Jews, right? At the time that Jesus was preaching. Do you think he ever met Jesus? Well, I bet he probably did because the Pharisees, they were always sending people out to grill Jesus on technical questions about the law. And they were always complaining about the stuff he did. Paul was not isolated from this. So he would have been in that group that was very interested in Jesus and what he was doing. So he had some first-hand knowledge, but he was totally on the other side. And once Jesus' resurrection and the disciples and everybody else would say, oh, he's alive, he's alive, he made it his life's mission to destroy this movement. Find these people, arrest them, lock them up, have them stoned, have them flogged, have them killed, destroy this movement because it's anti-Jewish and we need to get rid of it. So that's what he was dedicating his life to until he had his uh, Damascus Road experience where Jesus revealed himself to Paul and told him, it's me, it's Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And so he then did a total 180 and began to dedicate his life to preaching Jesus and Jesus' resurrection 
And you know the suffering that Paul went through, right? Five times, 39 lashes, he was flogged three times, he was stoned once, shipwrecks, the whole thing. But he never, ever gave up his assertion that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and that's what we preach to you. And he started how many churches? Dozens of churches all over the Roman Empire based on Jesus is alive. All right. And then we have the sermon summaries in the book of Acts that even skeptics agree that the book of Acts is a collection of sermons that were preached, and those are included in there at least. And one of Peter's sermons in Acts 2.32 says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. And 3,000 people agreed with him that day, and the church was born. Then you got the four gospel accounts, which... I don't even need to say it. You all know those were from either eyewitnesses or people that were disciples or assistants to eyewitnesses. Mark and Luke, they traveled with, well, Mark traveled with Paul some, and he was a disciple of Peter. And so he's basically hearing all this preaching and teaching. Uh, Luke was a disciple of Paul and traveled extensively with him with all the starting of these churches. So these were people that knew. They either had firsthand, he was my friend and I know what happened, or I heard it from someone that was one of Jesus' closest friends. Matthew and John, they were disciples. So these people are very credible. Even though they're on the side of Jesus, they're people who knew the story, and they're delivering the story as they knew it. And then the last two are uh, Clement and Polycarp, and there there are many more. But um, and these are like the second generation Christians. They're people who talked to people who had seen Jesus uh, raised from the dead. So uh, Clement was one that had been ordained by Peter, and he wrote a letter to the Corinthians where he said that the apostles' certainty of the faith was caused by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's Polycarp, who was another second-generation Christian who was appointed by the Apostle John to be a bishop. He wrote a letter to the Philippians where he mentions the resurrection less, no less than five times. So here we have all these ancient resources that reflect on um, the, and the testimonies of people who were convinced that Jesus was raised from the dead. And Lee Strobel's was so convinced he became a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So if you have doubts, I, I hope you'll continue to research that. Come back next week. We're going to be talking about some more reasons for our faith in the next three weeks. But uh, I just want to close with saying what this means for us. What does the resurrection mean for us? Well, first, it means that we have the hope of heaven, that because God raised Jesus from the dead, we, can, we know he has the power to raise us to life again. It means that we can have forgiveness from, and the freedom of, from guilt and the penalty of sin because Jesus died for our sins and then was raised to life so that we could know him and have forgiveness. It means that we can have changed lives, that he promises that when we put our faith in him, that he will come and his Holy Spirit will live in us and help us to live as he lived and to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And it also means that every promise in the Bible, we can trust that God can keep those promises. If he can keep this promise, if he can do this, we know that he can keep all of the promises. There's like over 80 
uh, promises that we as Christians have because of the resurrection. And, and so we know God will keep all of those. And the good news is that Jesus, um, that, that faith is available to everyone. Our memory verse this week, let's read it together as we close, is from Romans 10, 9. If you, you declare, declare with your mouth, mouth Jesus, Jesus is Lord, and, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Romans 10, 9. So that's, this, that's the starting place, to just put your faith in him and then allow him to work in your life as you grow in your knowledge and love of him. Let's pray. Loving God, we, we thank you for this Resurrection Sunday and for the joy that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ uh, to know that uh, when we have hard times like this last week with the passing of uh, Jim and and uh, all the losses that we've talked about today, that we have hope. We have the hope of heaven because um, of the resurrection. So this morning we put our faith in you. We, we ask that you would help us, God, as we explore this question, these questions further, that you'll give us the faith to really um, put our, our lives in your hands and to live our lives fully for you because you died for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.